morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up at verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Before we do that, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. We praise you. You are good and a great God. For some reason, you see fit to be with us just to share your love and share yourself with us, God. Help us to never take it for granted that we can call on your name, that we can come in your presence, God, that you hear us, that you're with us, that you love us. Help us to always be grateful, always be thankful, God. Even now, God, prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to hear from you, to learn of you, to draw closer to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We continue to talk about Jesus. And just giving small pictures of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for us. And we've been tracing over the last couple of weeks through the book of John and things that Jesus has declared about himself. And how he declared himself to be <clears throat> the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the one who satisfies and fulfills all our desires, the, the source of true life that sustains us. And how he referred to himself as the door, the entryway the gateway into the heavens and the pastures of God to be a part of his sheepfold. How he declared himself to be the good shepherd, the one who protects us, the one who cares for us, the one who leads us and guides us, but not from a distance, but he goes before us. So all we have to do is follow him. And throughout the couple of weeks, we trace what the prophets have said about him. We saw how Moses declared him to be the, the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent and the coming prophet that will lead us and guide us, the one who will give us direction and a direct voice from God. And we traced it all the way through, through David, and how David declared him to be the one that will come through Nathan the prophet, the one that will sit on the throne of Judah, and the one that will lead and guide and build the temple of God. And we saw that we are that temple that he is building. And we trace these things and these themes throughout. Isaiah declared him to be the only begotten son of God, the one who came down, the eternity, father of eternity, the one who would cleanse us, to be our high priest, to take our place, to intercede for us. This is the God that we serve. And so as we begin to turn, we're going to take these same things following through Jesus himself and ask, try to answer the question, what did Jesus say that he came for? Because everybody else told us what he came for. The writer of the Hebrews told us that he came, manifested himself to <clears throat> to feel our infirmities and, and to intercede on our behalf. John told us that he came to destroy the works of the devil. So what did Jesus say about himself? What was the purpose of his coming? In the words of Jesus himself, why did he manifest? Why did he show up? And we're going to try to trace that theme beginning mainly throughout the book of the Gospels in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to bounce a little bit, just a little bit. Beginning in verse 17. Jesus speaking, he said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass away. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, 
that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is Jesus speaking. Why did he come? He said he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but he came to fulfill. And it's the basis where we're starting from. So Jesus in his coming, he did not come to take away the law, neither did he come to take away the prophets, but to fulfill it. And that word to fulfill means to bring to his fullness, to reach his pinnacle, to, to accomplish all that they are to declare for, all that they were sent for. So the reality of all the law and all the prophets is brought to its fullness in Jesus. But what does that mean for us? Now, the one challenge we have in here, and we're not going to get too sidetracked into that, but in our Protestant Western mindset, it's a great trend that the law means nothing. That the whole first half of your Bible, you can cut it out, because it ain't nothing but some good, fanciful stories. Like, you ain't got nothing to do with that. That ain't got nothing to do with you. It's even this famous prophet, I mean, famous teacher that's going around nowadays, even though I think he's misunderstood, he made the statement that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And so people are all in uproar. Like, where do we stand? What is our relationship to the Old Testament? What is our relationship to Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and all them books we don't ever read? But Jesus saying, when I came, it was not my purpose to get rid of, to destroy, or to annihilate those things, but to fulfill them. So there is meaning, there is purpose in those books that Jesus came to fulfill. But the thing that we don't do is that we disconnect these verses from 17 to 20. We see them as separate things. So a lot of people focus on 17 and they tell you Jesus didn't came to destroy, but he came to fulfill what does that mean? We don't know that Jesus was going to do it and he was just going to do all this other stuff. That all the stuff that they supposed to do, Jesus was going to do it and it don't count to us. But if you follow Jesus' chains of thought, he said, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill, therefore. So since I came to fulfill, everybody who teach people to disobey, to not do these commandments, they're least in the kingdom of heaven. But everybody who teach people to do these things and to follow these things, they are great because your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So Jesus is connecting his fulfillment with our righteousness in some way, in some form. You, you get where we're going with that. These are not a disconnected. This is one sermon, one flow of thought that Jesus has in mind. So whatever he means by he came to fulfill, it is connected to us and our righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees. So how do we understand it? What did Jesus come to do? What does his fulfillment has to do with my righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees, with me being able to teach people to do and keep the commandments of God? Now go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just tie this thought in with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to read 20. All right, I got to read 19. Said, for, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Well, this is Paul's declaration. He said, when we came to you, we preaching the Son of God, 
our words was not nay. We weren't saying no. But through him they are yea. Then he sums up his point. said, all the promises of God through Christ are yea and amen. So everything that God has promised, everything that Christ and God has declared through Jesus Christ, they are true. They are so. So as we go back and we connect and we read in the Old Testament, we don't see good stories to teach our children for Sunday school. What we see is the outworking of God and God manifesting himself and building and declaring his promises. And in those promises, we see our destiny. Because the Bible declared that God has consecrated to himself a people. And through those people, he would declare himself through the world and draw all men unto himself. And as we make it to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the true Israel. He's the son of God that was called out of Egypt. He's the one through whom God has declared and made himself known. And we are in him, which means that through Christ, we are engrafted and we are the true Israel. So that's what Paul was, was talking about when he said there are no more twain but one. God has made of himself one nation, and that nation is the nation of Israel. So all the promises that God placed upon him, we take part in those because we are them now. You understanding what I'm saying? So when the God declares things about them, when he tells them, I'm going to circumcise your heart that you may love me, we take hold to that. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when we read these things, we have to see God's hand working. We have to see God's sovereign promises being meted out because those are the things that pertains to us in our identity. So when Jesus Christ saying he came to fulfill, he means he came to bring to reality all the things that God has declared in their yes and amen in us because we are in him. Are you with me? So when people be quoting, you get crunk at, at your charismatic church and say, I know the promises that God has for me. Good plans, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a good future. Y'all done heard folks quote that. That's Jeremiah. And if you read the context, he ain't talking about Bentleys, Beamers, and mansions. He ain't talking about you starting your own business and being a Fortune 500 company. What he's talking about is the restoration of his people. That even though you have been cast out, even though I have judged you, even though I have put you down and separated you because of your iniquity, this is not the end. I will come to you. I will bring you back to myself. I will love you. This is the plan. This is the hope. This is the future that you be my people and I be your God. And in Jesus Christ, that is yes and that is amen. That is reality for us. Are you with me? Every promise of God is fulfilled through Christ Jesus. And all the realities of the Old Testament is real life for us because we are, we is in him. You get what I'm saying? So when Jesus say, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill everything we read in that Old Testament, everything we see God doing, every promise we see God making, we see ourselves and we see reality. You get what I'm saying? So what we have to do is allow Christ to open up our mind and take the veil away so that we can truly see Jesus and see him working. So when we read of all the hard laws and all the hard things that we're supposed to do, that you got to do, all those things are reality in us. Paul in Romans 8 said that what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son in the 
likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, fulfill the law in us. So all God's laws are fulfilled in me because Christ is in me and he didn't come to destroy but to fulfill. And all of his promises, all of his declarations, all the law and all the promise are yes and amen through Christ. And Christ is in me and I am in him. So therefore, everything he declared to be reality in the Old Testament is reality in me. Are you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? So that's why we don't have to unhitch ourselves from it. We have to understand it. The rough judgments that God declared, we don't have to shy away from that stuff. We have to understand it. We see that God hates iniquity, that God hates sin, and he will punish people for sin. But we'd also see that God delights in righteousness, and he will bless his people, and he will fulfill his promise to those who keep his word. You read the book of Joshua. It's this one thing that, that carries through there. It says that not one word that God spoke through Moses came short. But he fulfilled everything that he declared. Why did he do so? Because Joshua did everything that he told him to do. And so what we learn from that, if you do everything God tell you to do, everything God said going to happen, going to happen. That's deep. But we say we can't do everything God tell us to do. So therefore, either God got to change or everything God said going to happen ain't going to happen. But that's what Jesus comes in at. Because he did not come to destroy us. So Jesus ain't come to take it away. Jesus ain't come to say, well, I understand that I set this thing up and I was a little too rough at the beginning. I was a little too rough. I was mad. Adam messed up and I just started making all kinds of crazy laws I wasn't supposed to make. So we're going to take this thing down a little bit so everybody can pass. Joy Bush, no child left behind. All right, that was that. Y'all you know, like Jesus. See, George Bush got that policy from God. He just like changed all the standards. Put everybody on the same level. Let's, let's just work. Lower the bar a little bit so everybody can make it. Nah, that ain't how God operates. Jesus didn't come to destroy. He didn't come to take away. So the standards of God are high. The standards of God are lofty. And when Jesus came, they didn't get no smaller. And actually, if you pay attention to the rest of the sermon, he amped it up a little bit. Because he go from your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees to start talking about looking to lust is the same thing as adultery. Hating your brother without a cause is the same thing as killing him. So he take that thing up a little bit more. Because he came to fulfill, which means to express the true meaning of what God was declaring. So how in the world do we get to the place where now it, it don't matter? It don't. It, it's cool. Everything cool. God, Lord, stand. Uh, he understand. He know. No. He keeps it high, and he will allow it to remain high because he is high. But the beauty that we have, and the beauty that we want to understand, is that Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus came to do it. Jesus came to bring it into fruition. And as long as I'm in Jesus, I'm going to be doing it. Uh, you understand? So that's why my righteousness can exceed that of the scribe and Pharisees because they can only act like they were doing it. I can have it inside. So when Jesus tells me to love the stranger, to love the sojourner, I can do it in my heart. I don't just have to do acts of kindness. I can truly have compassion for him. 
my heart can truly break when I see him being te- destitute. So when Amos saying that I want justice, when Amos saying I want you to plead for the cause of those who are shut out, those who are downcast, I can truly do that. And it's not just a formality of me connecting with a whole bunch of social justice people trying to do some good things and marching and still living like a fool. It's the reality of me and my heart where my heart truly breaks when I see people mistreated. I don't care what color he is. I don't care what what nation he come from. I don't care what he looked like because he is made in the image of God and I have the very heart of God. Therefore, my heart breaks when I see somebody hurt. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But I can live like that. Not through trying to press myself into some form or some mold that has been cast for me, but because Christ lives inside of me and he came to fulfill. You get what I'm saying? Every promise of God is yes and amen through Christ because that's what he came for, to bring it into reality. So we don't need to hide and and smudge some verses out of our Bible because they don't connect with what we understand the promises to be. No, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So when he said he's going to prosper those who, who follow him, when he said he's going to give them good and he said he's going to be pleasant, when he said you're going to be like a tree planted next to the rivers of living water and whatever you shall do, it shall prosper, that is true. But it's only true how? In Christ. But Christ is the only one who truly delighted himself in the law of God, who truly meditated upon it day and night. So he's the only one who truly meet the standards to do it. But I'm in him. So therefore, I meet the standards now. The standard don't change. Are you with me? So Jesus ain't come to destroy. He came to fulfill. And that fulfillment is expressed through me. So every promise I read of God, that's my promise. Every good thing I see of God, that's speaking about me. Everything that God declares that he going to do, that he going to be, that he going to show, that relates to me. Because I'm in him and all the promises in him are yes and amen. But also all the standards of God, I can meet them. Because Christ came to fulfill and Christ dwells inside of me. Therefore, it's reality for me. That's why Paul can say little crazy stuff that we're not saved by following the law. But if we walk in the the spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And there's no law contrary to the spirit. What was he saying? That if you in the spirit, all the laws that God got, you're going to do them. So you ain't got to sit there and meditate and strain yourself to try to do something. Preacher man ain't got to tell you. Malachi said if you rob God, he's going to give you a curse on you. No, because you're going to give. Because that's reality inside of you. And so we see the fullness of it. So Jesus lets us know that something God put in this thing and it was lost just because the people was wicked. So he had to make them give. He had to tell them, hey, don't, don't, don't get all your fruit. Make sure you leave some. He had to set up laws and set up rules for them to do that. He had to set up laws and set up rules for them how to relate to their neighbor. Because they weren't doing it and their heart was wicked and they could not do it. But now we in Jesus. So we can do that stuff automatically because he's in us. But all the promises that come from doing that stuff, all the blessings, all the all the good stuff that we shout about and normally run around and we pervert to be Bentley Benz and, and, and mansions. We get all that stuff too. But he ain't talking about no Bentley Benz and Matches. 
He's talking about a reality of a life, a life that has peace, a life that has joy, and a life that is fulfilled, that does not suffer lack. That even in down times, like Paul said, I know how to base and I know how to bound because the tent, contentment of God and the spirit of God dwells inside of me. Are you with me? So first off, Jesus did not come to destroy. He came to fulfill. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Now this one here will get a little crazy. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. We're going to back up a little bit. Go back to 24. 10, 24. That the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hair of your head is numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father which is in heaven. But whoever, whosoever shall therefore deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Put a pause right there. So this is Jesus. In this long little passage, this, this one to get a little crazy here. But the opening is the thesis of this one as I read it. Said the disciple is not above his master, neither the servant, I mean, <clears throat> nor the servant above his Lord. So the disciple will never be greater than his master, and the servant will never be greater than his Lord. Said the best thing you can get out of that relationship is be the same as your master, or be on the same level as your Lord. And the reason he said that is what follows. So if they call me Beelzebub, what shall they call you? Because you ain't greater than me. So if they take the greater one and disrespect him and mistreat him, what shall they do with those that are lesser? That's the basic point. And it goes with, don't be afraid. They mistreated me, which means they're going to mistreat you, but don't you be afraid. Because whatever is done in secret is going to be revealed. There is no hidden thing. Then he gets a little deep and spooky. Like, the, the sparrows, they're sold for a farthing. They're sold for a small little piece of change. But not one of them going to fall to the ground without your father's notice. But you're greater than them. What he's showing is that evil things will happen. Bad stuff is going to happen in this world. But you don't allow that to change you 
or to motivate you because you need to know and understand that God himself is taking notice and ain't no secret things going on on this planet. Every small thing that takes place on this planet and on this earth, God takes notice of it. And if you pay attention to a little bit of, little bit of birds, a little bit of sparrows, y'all ever seen them little bit of things out there smoke? I mean, flying around? Hey, little bit of birds. He said, you get a couple of them for a penny. They ain't worth much. But he still takes notice of them. And one single thing that happens to him that God is not aware of. So the very hairs on your head are numbered. God takes notice of all the small things and all the small details that has to do with your life. So therefore, whatever I tell you, you declare to the world. But you don't fear the people who can only destroy this body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So what he's getting at is there will be a time. There will be situations where to declare what God has shown you to be what God has called you to be will put you in a position where it's uncomfortable, it's not right, where you can be hurt or ostracized or even killed. And he's saying in those positions, you still confess me because whoever confess me before men, him will I confess before my father. Whoever deny me before men, him will I deny before the father. So our connection to God and our relation to God is built are connected to our confession. So, if I'm in a situation where me standing up for Jesus puts me out, cause me to be ostracized, cause me to lose, cause me to hurt, what he's saying is you still stand up for Jesus. And he put it and he cast it in this, in this darkness, which is sort of hell because he didn't give us no way out. Ain't no way in all that we read. We read about 16 verses. Did he say, you confess me before men and people going to try to kill you, but I'm going to send a supernatural force field that ain't going to allow them to hurt you and you're going to get a chance to walk around and be super Jesus and all the world going to respect you and bow down to you because I gave you my force field. Like, he ain't putting none of that stuff in there. He ain't even give you no side promise. Like, they're going to come to you, but don't worry because I'm going to be with you. So you can even contort it in your mind that Jesus is going to block stuff. That he's going to be like the Matrix. Neo taking bullets for you. Bruce Leroy <laughs> catching him in his... <laughs> so he ain't give you none of that stuff. He just told you, don't deny me. And don't be scared. Because if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. And then he goes down to our focus, talking about why he came. And it gets, seems a bit contradictory. In 34, he's not, don't think, think, don't think that I came to bring peace. And when you read that, we just, this is January, we just left Christmas. What are all the Christmas songs be all about? You walk in Walmart. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know what I'm saying? We be in church. Especially folks that go to the old church, there will be peace in the valley. Y'all, all that stuff. So all these promises, like you read the beginning of this book. It talks about this one that's going to come, Emmanuel, God with us, and all this peace. Flip over to the first two chapters of Luke, Simeon and Anna. They're talking about he's going to bring peace. The angels singing about peace on earth and goodwill to men. All these things, he talked all these promises of peace. He was declared through the prophets, the prince of peace. This is Jesus. 
But he's saying, don't you think I came to bring peace? What in the world does he mean? Is that a contradiction? How can he be the prince of peace, the peace on earth, the goodwill to men, but he's telling you I ain't come to bring peace? What he's saying is, the purpose of my coming was not purely to connect people. That ain't why I'm here. But instead of that, it's going to be division. Because he knows that there will be people who will reject him. He knows that there will be times in this world where people hate him. Because the world sits in darkness. And those who sit in darkness hate the light. So they can't receive him. They can't comprehend him. So he's coming to be a light. He's coming to bring separation. He's coming to bring distinction. Just like when God first created, he said that. Let there be light. Then what he do? First thing he did, separated the light from the darkness. That was a whole day. Like that was a full day's work for God. To make light, separate light from darkness. Morning and the evening was the first day. So this sense of separation is something that's real and a reality to God. God don't like stuff to be mixed up. Like if you read back in the Old Testament laws, which we're going to be fun. We're going to get there and go through all of them. And I'm going to show you how Jesus fulfilled them. But there's some crazy laws in there. He says stuff like, don't plant mixed seeds on the same plot. That if you plant corn, don't put you no greens right there either. You'd be like, why in the world would he say that? What's, what's wrong with, with that? You ain't got but a little bit of land. So you want me to separate all this stuff? It's like, no, don't, don't mix seeds. He went so deep, don't mix fabrics. Hey, like this shirt here, this is an abomination to the Old Testament law. Because it's mixed. God don't like that mixture. And we get a little deep and I'm bring it closer to home. If you read it now, he said, man should not wear that which pertains to a woman, neither woman that what pertains to a man. Then he started explaining stuff. He's like, because it is confusion. God has a distinction. When he told Israel, he said, I set you up. And I'm going to separate you from the rest of the nations. So when Jesus saying he comes to bring a sword, he means I'm coming to separate. So what we have to do is ask the people of God, those who claim to know Jesus, we should be the ones who separate, who brings a distinction in this earth and in this world. You get what I'm saying? You should allow yourself to be hated if people hate what you stand for. You should allow yourself to be hated if people hate what you stand for because that's your job. That's what Jesus came down here for. Everybody ain't just going to get along. Everything just ain't going to be all peachy and rosy and beautiful because everybody don't like and everybody don't go after and pursue the same things. And we should be willing to kick a little dust and to stir some stuff up because Jesus came to bring a sword. So when Jesus was walking on this planet and he saw the Pharisees being hypocritical, he saw them saying one thing and doing another. He didn't go and say, well, we need to have a meeting and a conference and figure out how we can all work together 
for the salvation of Israel and the exaltation of God's name. I understand that you guys are fake and phony, but that's okay. God still loves you. No, he stepped up and said, you hypocrites, you vipers. John the Baptist did the same thing. You hypocrites, who vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? He was willing to bring a distinction. And it is our job as the people of God, we shouldn't be the same. That where you are, where you stand, you should be a little weird. You should be a little different. People shouldn't always be able to connect with you because people ain't going to always be doing what you're doing. You get what I'm saying? Because we should live our life in a way that we bring separation, that we bring distinction. It's going to get a point in time where they stop calling Aaron. Because he ain't with it. Does that mean Aaron have to be mean and hateful to these people? Nah, bro, you can't be around me. No. Aaron being Aaron will create that. All he had to do is be him. And people are going to say, nah, bro, I can't be around you. You you get what I'm saying? So as we navigate through this world, let's keep this in mind. Jesus came to bring a sword. So there are going to be some times and some places where you're at where some standard of quote-unquote Christianity is acceptable, but you know it ain't quite right. And what the test comes in at is how do you stand? Do you compromise what you know and believe for the sake of peace? You, you, are you with me? Do you hold back what you know and believe for the sake of peace? I don't want to ruffle no feathers. I know I shouldn't be in here, but these are my people, so I'm just going to go. I'm saying I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I ain't going to do it all the way because these are my people, so I'm just going to be there. For the sake of peace. And we live in an age where the greatest standard of morality is how much stuff you can accept and not call people wrong. That's the only wrong thing in the world we're living in right now is telling other people they're wrong. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. Just as long as you don't tell nobody else they're wrong. And the only person you can tell wrong is the people who claim that Jesus said something was right. That's the world that we live in. So when people talk about slaughtering their children, you can do whatever you want to, but you can't say that's wrong. That's the world that we live in. So when people are talking about divorce and separation and not really caring about what God said about those things, you're supposed to embrace it and accept it because the only wrong thing is telling them that they're wrong. When people are talking about Marriage and marrying whoever they want to and being with whoever they want to, whether it's homo or hetero, it don't matter. The only wrong thing is telling them that they're wrong. Are you with me? That's the world that we live in. So when you got your Christian friend and she's your girlfriend and she's sleeping around with all these different type of men, the only wrong thing you can do is tell her to stop. That's the world that we live in. Because ain't nothing wrong with being a Christian and a fornicator. The only wrong thing is telling people they ain't supposed to be. Ain't nothing wrong with being a Christian and supporting slaughtering children. The only wrong thing is to tell people they can't. Ain't nothing wrong with being a Christian and a thief, a Christian and whatever else you want to put on it. You can be a Christian liar, 
We call them preachers. <laughs> it's okay. The only wrong thing is telling people that they're wrong. What Jesus is saying is, that ain't what I came for. I ain't come to just sing kumbaya and get everybody together. I ain't come to, well, my brothers, you you are my brother, and we are brothers, and we're together. But you're racist in a mug. You know, we just need to learn how to get together and better understand one another. No, your position is you're wrong. You hate people because they're dark-skinned. So I don't dislike you because you're Presbyterian. I dislike you because you support the mistreatment and injustice of people. Jesus ain't down for that. Are you with me? And to your other brothers, I don't dislike you because you're pro-black. I dislike you because you think everything black is right. <laughs> it don't matter. We cool with everybody. long as he's saying something about black. That dude, you're supposed to be a Christian. And you marching on and on with all these Nation of Islam people in, in, in the hoteps and in, in the black Hebrew Israelites. All y'all the same. Except you just say Jesus. But it deep inside your heart, you think this brother going to hell. But you won't tell him that because it's not supporting the cause. Since he's willing to march and rally with you and pro-black man and let's raise black consciousness, he cool. Are you, are, you, are you gathering what I'm saying? So you shut your mouth and you don't tell them, man, hey, man, Jesus is the only way. I feel what you're saying with all that Muhammad stuff, but that, that, that stuff ain't real. Because you don't want to disrespect your brother because he's your brother because he's black. The only brothers we got are those who believe in Jesus. Are you with me? And that's what we stand for. So no matter what it is, if it's anti-Jesus, it's wrong. We don't support stuff just to be supporting stuff. We don't go along with stuff just to go along with stuff. And we don't compromise for the sake of peace. That's why they say, if you don't love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. These are some heavy words. Jesus wants us to be at a place where we're willing to disown family for his sake. And he said, you're not willing to disown family for my sake. You ain't worthy of me. That's, that's, that's pretty heavy. And the amazing thing is to me, everybody got it but the Christians. So you go in some nations where these people are Muslim or Hindu, like Hindus are disowning children, kicking them out of nations because they go to Bible study. They put these people in a very uncomfortable position. Either I'm going to stand for Jesus, I ain't going to have nothing to eat. Read a story of a young girl. She read a Bible passage in a Hindu family. They're supposed to be the peaceful people, they tell us over in the West. But she read a Bible story. 14 years old. Her father disowned her and made her leave. Not leave his house, but leave the country. 14. She's out a whole nother country because she read a Bible passage. Are, are you with me? That's radical. That's crazy. 
But that's folks willing to stand up for what they believe in. But we accept and we embrace everything, no matter what it means to the identity of Jesus. We can't be those type of people. We don't accept and we don't embrace everything, every lifestyle, every choice, every every position, every expression, all music, all TV, everything. We just accept it all. All love go in because Jesus is loving and Jesus loved people. But Jesus came to bring a sword. In the parallel passage in Luke, he said, I came to kindle a fire. And I wish that it was already kindled. What I'm saying is, I'm to set this thing ablaze. Are you with me? So Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Jesus came to bring a sword. Jesus came to bring separation. So that if you stand with Jesus and people are anti-Jesus, you stand up for Jesus. And you do not seek peace for compromising Jesus. Y'all understand that? Because that's what he came for. So we can't be anti. We anti everything that ain't Jesus, but we love people. You understand what I'm saying? You love people. You embrace people, but you correct people and you show them Jesus ain't with that. And being with you mean I got to be with that. I ain't with you. That's hard. That's harsh. That's anti-American. But that's truth. and That's reality. And that's what Jesus came to do. Are you with me? Go to Mark. Well, stop by Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We'll read both of them. Matthew chapter 20. 20 verse 28. Start at 25. 20 verse 28, starting at 25. 25 through 28, I mean. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this is Jesus responding to a couple of his disciples debating about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he showed a distinction. I told Jesus like separating stuff. He showed a distinction like the Gentiles, the nations, those who are not connected to Yahweh. They exercise dominion over their people and those who are in authority, they press it upon their people. But he said, but it shall not be so amongst you because the son of man came. Not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve. So we saw a distinction, and the reason that that distinction should not be in you is because of him. And what we're going back to is what we started at in Matthew 10, where it says that the servant shall not be greater than his master. Are you with me? So Jesus came to serve people. The king of heaven. The creator of all that is, the Lord of glory, the king of glory, the one who was able to split, split the Red Sea, the one who was able to cause chaos to be into this beautiful earth that we see. This same one came down on his planet to the people that he made, to the people that he created to serve them. So he made himself a servant. 
And that was his way of being Lord. You understand? So the greatest among you, let him be the servant of you all. Because that's the reason that Jesus came. Are you with me? So how did that relate to us? We can't be greater than our master, y'all. Nobody can exceed the one who we are upon. We are all in Christ. So there ain't no way for us to be beyond him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things consist for him and all things are contained in him. He is superior, preeminent above all things. We would never be greater than him. And he expressed his greatness by serving people. Which means we as the people of God, following in his footsteps, if we truly know Messiah, what are we supposed to be doing? Serving people. So now let's connect this with what we just got done talking about. Because we're supposed to bring a sword. And we're supposed to bring separation. And there's supposed to be distinction. Which means we don't get along and go along with everybody. But in that distinction, we still have to what? Serve people. Are you, are you tracking with me? So that shows you that our uproar, our righteous indignation does not lead to the ostracizing or the condemning or the hatred of people. Because we're here to serve people. Who did Jesus come to serve? The world. He served. He gave his life as a ransom for many. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he served those who were opposed to him. He served those who, who through his own word, declared to be his enemies. That's who Jesus served. The people who ridiculed him, the people who spat at him, the people who snuffed out his life and tried to lie on him, the people who mistreated him, the people who snatched him from his prayer meeting at nighttime with his disciples. Jesus was on the cross praying for them, interceding on their behalf. He always treated them with compassion and kindness. Are you with me? Same dude that came to arrest Jesus, he healed him. You, 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 you think about that. They came to arrest Jesus. Peter pulled out his little pocket knife. Slash one arm. Cut their ear off. And their whole purpose for being there is to get Jesus, to send him to jail so they can kill him. That's the only reason they're there. And Jesus knows they're there to get him so they can kill him. And in the midst of all this chaos, disciples running, people going crazy, it's dark, you can't see. Jesus stopped the whole party and take time to deal with this one little dude. That's amazing. He took time to humble himself to deal with this one little dude about something like an ear. Like, if they cut your ear off, you're going to live? You're going to survive? It ain't that deep. It wasn't even no very traumatic situation. It was more chaos concerning Jesus than what was going on with Malchus. But Jesus, as a servant, as a lover of men, as one who seek and came to give himself for people, took time in the middle of being sent to jail to be killed to put a dude's ear back on. The dude can still hear. He can still live. He can still operate. He can still earn a check. It ain't that big deal, big of a deal. It's just a piece of ear, man. That's what I'm thinking. Just an ear. 
I remember a football player lost his finger and the game still went on. They still played. Because they ain't that deep. He can still earn a check. It's just a piece of a finger. It might hurt, but it, it don't change life. Now the kids look at you a little funny because they're trying to figure out what's going on with your head. That's the worst thing that happened. But in the midst of that, Jesus as the servant, Jesus as the lowly one, Jesus as the master and king of the universe took time to bend down and deal with this man in his situation. That's deep. But we can never be greater than our master. We can never be superior to him who came to give his life for us, which means that we should follow his example and we should never be king lording over people. And we should never be mistreating people. We should never be seeking to hurt people, but we should always be open and available to deal with people and whatever it is they got going on. As a servant of people. Are you with me? So when you ask folks, how you doing, mean it. You get what I'm saying? Because if Jesus is willing to stop getting sent to jail to deal with this one man situation, you should be willing to pause for a second, walking down the hallway to hear the heart of this person if they're willing to tell you how they truly do it. Because you ain't there for nothing else but to serve. Are you with me? So our heart should be tender towards people. So in this drawing distinction, in this raising a standard, we're still open, we're still available, and we're still there seeking, how can we help you? How can I serve you? How can I deliver you? How can I be show love to you, show kindness to you, show compassion to you in your situation? Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, he came to serve. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why we got to flip our whole concept of church all the way around. Because we have allowed it to grow to the point where there's this certain special class of people who everybody in the church have to bow down to, have to show reverence to, have to show respect to. They get special seats and special type of water and all that type of stuff. And we all exist for their good and their glory. That ain't Jesus. Are you with me? That ain't Jesus. If Jesus was willing to take a pause from being killed to heal somebody, this dude who called himself a man of God should be willing to take a pause from trying to escape through the back so he can get in his BMW to drive off to go to the next place to preach, to listen to you. Because he don't exist to preach, he exists to serve. So the only great people in the kingdom of God are the people who serve in people. So when you go to some of these big, super huge churches and you see the little people back there in the nursery with boo-boo all on their fingers, and they stink because they're dealing with the children. Them the great people at that church. Because they're taking time to serve people. That dude who's standing out with folks carrying the Bible like he invalid or something, he ain't great. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. He ain't great. Because if he was great, he'll be carrying your Bible. If he was great, he'll be the one out there back him in the floor. If he was great when he walked in the bathroom and he saw a stain on that, he wouldn't snap his finger to get somebody to come clean it, clean it itself because he exists to serve you. And don't allow anybody to elevate themselves above you because of some title. We all are children of God. We all are people of God. If so, be that we got the spirit of God within us crying out adoption, which means we all are great, which means we all are servants. That's what Jesus came for. 
Are you with me? So when we telling the girl she wrong because you're sleeping around and you're doing and you're in and out of all these relationships, tell her, stand up. Don't you go with her. Don't you support her. But be there for her, to love her. Intercede for her. Pray for her. Give your time and your efforts to see her through whatever she is, to be available for her when she called. When she complaining about him because he dumped and mistreated and she crying, you don't be there to say, I told you leave that man alone. That ain't no good. You be there to hurt with her. You be there to cry with her. You be there to weep with her. You be there to serve her whatever way she needs. And you still try to show that light because the son of man came to serve people. Which means we exist on this planet because a servant can't be greater than his master. And he's the master of us all. So if he's the servant of us all, we should be served. I said once and I said again. Like we, we need to spend time with Jesus. And we need to speak be. Be in the face of God. That's the only way we can be changed and transformed to be what he wants us to be. But we live in this crazy, frantic world where things go and stuff move at a fast pace and we don't have time. And sometimes we don't know pray and we ain't used to doing it. So we can't pray that long. And you be praying for 30 seconds. You be like, I ain't got nothing else to say. But think about this. I said it before, but re repeat it. We're supposed to be serving one another. How many of us in this room need prayer? Everybody. Can't all of us stand alone. So since everybody in here need prayer, and you know that, you got a whole lot to pray for. Ain't no excuse for you not being able to spend time in the presence of God. Ain't no excuse for your prayers to be short because you got a lot of people to pray for. Then you got cousins, nieces, nephews, aunties, uncles. So if you really want to get it in, you can go for hours. But that's one way you can serve people. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So you have to worry. I ain't got nothing to say. I don't know what to pray. I be trying to pray, but I can't pray but two minutes. That's true, because you're being selfish. And the only thing you can try to think about is yourself and what you need and what you got going on, what your world is, and how bad your kids is, and how crazy your work is. That's all you're worried about. But once you open yourself up and allow God to be God in you, you'll get a heart for people. And when you got a heart for people, that means you will serve them. So that when they, when they call you and you got a car and you ain't doing nothing but sitting at home watching TV, that you'll get up. You'll throw your shoes on and you'll dry them and you won't ask for no gas money because you're there to serve them. Are you, are you, people understand what I'm saying? Because I believe if Jesus had a car, he would have gave people a ride and wouldn't ask for no gas money. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I think he would have gave people a ride. Away. If he was willing to take a little boy lunch and to feed everybody, I think he'd use his own car to give somebody a ride. <laughs> 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 he'd use his own car to give folk a ride. I don't think he would feel salty if all this man ain't got number two dollars. <laughs> you don't think he'd be two dollars, man? You know how high gas is? <laughs> you want me to take you all the way to a talk? <laughs> No, Jesus loved people. Jesus served people. And we ain't greater than him, which means we should be served. No matter where you go, no matter where you ascend to, no matter how how you get in this life, you are still a servant of people. So if you get the job and you get the raise and you become the boss, you still there to serve people. Point blank. Husbands, 
you the leader of the home. Ain't that right? The man. Big time. I'm saying it's your house. King of the castle. Everything needs to be straight. Jesus messed this whole thing up. Because them church folks we used to teach me back in the day that the man was the man of the house and the woman's supposed to be in submission. Yeah, the Bible does say that. Because the man is the great one, right? The great one's supposed to be the what, though? Uh-oh, boy, you messed up now. <laughs> oh, that sounds a little different, though. When you view yourself as a husband, since I'm the husband, I'm the leader of his home, that means I'm the greatest servant in here. Because the church will be messing you up and they be preaching that stuff that, that come from, I don't know where it come from. No, it don't come from the Bible. When you beating down and abusing and, and, and bearing your weight because the greatest don't have to tell people they're the greatest. They just be it. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Now we're going to wind this thing off. I'm going to try to make it a full circle and show you how all this connects. Mark chapter 2. All right, we're going to start at verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, <clears throat> many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, What is it that he eateth and drank it with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus said he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, that word repentance is key in this verse. So he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a very misunderstood word in our day. Greek word is metanoia. And it means meta to change or to switch. And Noah is the root word for mind. So it means to change or to alter or to switch your mind. So Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to change or to alter or to switch their minds. So people think repentance means saying, I'm sorry. That ain't true. People think repentance means it's saying a prayer and repeating after the preacher. No, that's not repentance. Repentance means to alter, to change your mind. Now, this is what things get a little deep. Now, if I have a mind that want to be wrong, how do I change it? Think about it. If I have a mind that want to be wrong, how do I change it? And the answer to that little riddle is, it's impossible. Because we do what we are. And as we think in our heart, that's who we truly are. And if my mind is consumed with wrong and evil, I'm wrong and evil, which means I want to be wrong and evil, which means I don't want to change. So I can't use my mind to tell my mind to be something other than my mind. Because my mind is wicked. So how in the world Jesus came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance? Now how you going to do that? How an evil person going to stop being evil? Jeremiah had the same question. I was that Ezekiel. Say, how can he that are accustomed to doing evil do good? 
Can a leper change his spots? Can an Ethiopian change his skin? So that's the question. But this is what Jesus said he came to do. Not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is what things get a little muddled in our day and age. Because we're so familiar with our unrighteous selves. And we got this watered down concept of repentance. What that means, all we got to do is ask for forgiveness and say we sorry and repeat after the preacher, raise our hand, sign that card and everything good. So the repentance never takes place. And so we think it means that Jesus ain't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners righteous. When Jesus playing like a mental trick on himself. Like the little short boy standing and grabbing onto the bar saying, I'm tall, I'm tall, I'm tall. I'm going to be taller than Michael Jordan. You ain't doing him a line because you're short. And no matter how many times you say you're tall, you're going to be short. And saying yourself, something in your mind that's not reality doesn't change reality. It may change your perception of reality, but the world is still what it is. Are you with me? Right. As if some, it's some of us, not everybody, some of in this room, man, we had great ambitions. We were going to be rich and real rich. And we listened to motivational speakers and we said that stuff to ourselves. And we still broke. And then we got in church and we hold up our Bibles and repeat. This is my Bible. <laughs> yeah, is it? Rebates and returns and all that type of stuff. We we done that stuff. Don't raise your hand. But how many times have y'all listened to some of them crunk sermons? Then done one or the other. You walk around your mailbox seven times, lay hands on them. <laughs> huh? Because you're going to get rebates and returns, checks in the mail. Don't, say, don't raise your hand. I don't want nobody to laugh at you. You try some form of it. You rolled up to the BMW lot, or rode your bike up there, and you lay hands on that car. Don't sh- don't don't tell nobody. <laughs> we we didn't done that stuff, and we did it with full confidence that in a little bit this car gonna be mine. That when I wake up in the morning, I walk around this thing seven times and gave a shout. And lay hands on the mailbox, it's gonna be a check in there when the mailman come. We I'm saying don't raise no hand. Well, we try some form of all that foolishness. But the amazing thing is we can hear that and we can do it with full expectation that what that preacher said gonna come true, gonna come true. Because we've been conditioned in the world that we live in that we have the power to make reality change. By what we think, feel, and believe. That's foolishness. And a lot of times, if you, if you I don't know if y'all ever get this bored, but you watch PB, PBS, and you get that little man, the power of intention. Some of y'all probably seen that man on that before. And he talking about the power of intention. He be going in. If you add Jesus to his sermon, it's the same thing you see on TBN. He said the exact same stuff, except he don't mention Jesus. It's just the power of intention. If you change intention to faith, boy, he's deep. 
But the, the, the thing that gets me is that we go with full confidence that these things are reality and it's going to be. And it gets so deep that we're willing to disobey the Bible to believe this stuff. How y'all, what you mean we're willing to disobey the Bible? See, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to let the, the, the money man do this. What, what, what the Proverbs say about giving to the rich? He that oppress the poor and give to the rich shall surely come to want. That's Proverbs. That's what Solomon said. He that oppress the poor and give to the rich shall surely come to want. So giving to rich people, that ain't quite what the Bible teach. But we got preachers that have taught us that the way you get rich is by giving to people who are already rich. And we believe that. So we're willing to disobey the Bible in hopes of faith, whatever that is. And we sow our money to people who are rich. And the way that they got rich was telling you to give me money. Now, when we see the little lady on the side of the road with her little sign by her bill, we say, she ain't right. I know y'all have seen. My life's about to be cut off and she move all around the city. She looks sad, got a little son there with her. And we see her once we realize that that pretty white Toyota camera that's sitting over there, that's her car. That ain't look nice to her. That's her car. And that, that little poor little boy that be sitting there looking at all say he got all kinds of joy. But when we find that out, oh man, she ain't right. She's taking advantage of people. And I'm saying God don't plead with that. God don't like her. But then that preacher who ain't driving no Toyota camera, he drives the Lexus. And he asks us, give me your money. At least she lied to you and just <laughs> make you feel sorry for her. He just tell me, give me your money. And God said, give me your money. He lied on God, not on the power company. We say, amen, preacher. Now, we judge this lady and we call her wrong. But we praise this man and we called him blessed. Both of them got money. Both of them taking your money while you broke. One driving a camera, another one driving a Maserati, flying in helicopters. But one get praised, and the other one get condemned. So I just thought about this. So if she really want to be blessed and be a great person, she need to change her sign and put, God said, give me your money so I can pay my power bill. Because that's the only difference between the two. Rich people taking your money in the name of God. But let me get back to my point. <laughs> but the reason we go after this stuff is because we believe in it. And we have hope in it. And the only people we see prospering are blessed are the people we're giving the money to. Our light still getting cut off. We still got to call Big Mama. We still let at, at, at payday loans and, and, and title max and all that type of stuff, trying to make it week to week, check by check, getting that 30% interest on a little $500 loan just so you can make it to the end of the month. We still doing that stuff. While the man of God still lying to us, still telling us these things, and he blessing, we believe it, and we don't have our eyes open up to see the only reason he blessed because all he got all my money. 
But we believe in that to the point that we're willing to take lack in hopes of it's going to be reality. But when Jesus comes and Jesus tells us things about ourselves and Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves, I'm like, I don't know about all that stuff. You know what I'm saying, man? I, and that stuff don't quite make sense. When we read in the Bible that those who are born of God cannot continue in sin, we're like, man, that can't mean that. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that just don't make no sense. Like, that's that type of stuff. See, and, and we get all deep. But we're willing to have faith for foolishness and not faith for God to be God in us. So when Jesus said he came to call the sinners to repentance, he's talking about us, but it's that transformation of mind. To what we're willing to believe in God. And we're willing to accept what God says as truth and as reality. We don't depend upon ourselves. And this is where things get a little crazy. I'm going to help you out a little bit. Because being truthful and being honest is the greatest thing you can be in this Christian walk. What do I mean by that? That if you're struggling, if you got weaknesses in your heart, if you got things that are going on with you, tell God about it. Don't lie to yourself. Because some preacher done told you that that stuff ain't real and you signed a card and you wrote your name in the bottom of the Bible, back of your Bible and you put a stake in the ground or whatever it is he told you to do because you got baptized and it all don't count and it all don't go and you just all right. No. Jesus came to call sinners to change, to transformation, to repentance. So if I'm a sinner, Jesus came, his purpose was coming, was to call me to repentance. To call me to a place where I ain't what I was when he met me. Are you with me? And let's think about this call of God. Back at the beginning, God called out the darkness and told light to be. What happened? Light came. God called out the darkness and told water to have fish in it. What happened? All type of creatures that we still discover nowadays started swimming. What he did? He spoke to some water and called those things out of it. God called to ground and told cows to start existing. He called to ground and told trees to be. That's the call of God. That's what God does. God called fire from heaven and told Sodom to stop existing. This is what God does. He has the power. There's power in the call of God. There's power in the voice of God. There's power in the word of God. And God is here calling us to repentance, calling us to change, calling us to be different, calling us to be other than we are. But what we have to do, because he said, he ain't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The physician ain't there for the whole, but for the sick. So what we have to do is stop lying to ourselves and stop lying to God and be open and honest and say, God, I'm sick. I need to be changed. I need to be transformed and I can't do it on my own. You told me I'm supposed to be the servant, but I'm selfish. And some people just get on my nerves. But we don't say that. So, well, that's just in my background. That's just my family. I can't help it. I just get a little upset sometimes. You get upset because you're evil. 
But it don't matter. The remedy is the same. That Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. It don't matter if you were born that way. It don't matter if your culture trained you up that way. It does not matter. The remedy is the same. And the call of God is efficacious. I mean, it, it works. It moves. It changes. It created reality. And if we can believe that we can stand up in church and repeat out the preacher and we're going to be rich, why can't we believe that I can cry out to Jesus and my heart going to be changed? If we can believe that I can walk around a, a Mercedes Benz lot and put my hand on somebody else's car and it's going to be mine. That I declare and decree to my wallet and money just going to pop in. And why can't I believe that I can cry out to God and declare and decree to my heart that depression going to leave and it goes. That I can declare and decree in my heart that anxiety going to leave and it goes. That I can declare and decree in my heart that anger going to flee away from me. That I'm going to love my wife. That I'm going to be patient with my children. That I'm going to love the stranger. I'm going to love the widows. I'm going to love the orphans. I'm going to love all people. I'm going to be patient with people and they're going to be there. That my home going to be a house of joy because I'm there. And no matter how I feel, I can tell joy to come because Jesus can tell a tree to stop growing figs. And he said, if I can believe, I can do the same thing he did. So I can tell myself, joy come. Zinc be happy. Zinc be overjoyed. Zinc be filled with joy and love and compassion. But we won't do that. We don't think that's possible. We think just because I feel a certain way, that's reality. Just because certain thoughts go through my mind, that's reality. That ain't true. That ain't real. And if it was real, it does not matter because Jesus came to do what? Call you to change your mind. So think about it. So my mind telling me I'm bugged out. My mind telling me you ain't right right now. The, the, the world don't like you. You don't need to leave your house. You don't need to see no people. And you just need to just, just, just be by yourself. Because world is messed up and you messed up with it. Is that what my mind is telling me? Jesus came to call me to what? Repentance. Oh man, that thing get a little deep, don't it? So why should I be down? Why should I be depressed? Why should I give up on life? I have no reason to because Jesus came to call people to what? Repentance. To change, to alter my mind. And that repentance and that change and that altering is a state of reality that I have access to every time Jesus shows up. Because he calling me to that. And it's going to get to a place where I don't got to do it no more. But watch this. Go to John chapter 12. We're going to take it on home right here. We're going to try to wrap this thing all the way up. John chapter 12. All right, John chapter 12. Verse 46, it says, I am come a light into the world, and whoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe it not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejected me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me hath given me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And now that his commandment is, and know that his commandment is life everlasting. And whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the father said unto me, so I speak. So this is Jesus. One of them, another one of them funny verses. He said, he came as a light unto the world to bring illumination to the whole wide world. He said, don't think I came to judge the world. Like, hold on. Now, Jesus, thought you the judge of the quick and the dead and all this stuff. Like, that ain't what I came for this time. I ain't come to judge the world. 
but to save the world or to deliver the world or to bring the world out of this place that it should be judged for. This is what he came for, to save the world, to deliver the world. So he came to call sinners to repentance, which means our mind needs to change, but he also came to save or to deliver. So if I'm in a funk, whose job is it to get me out of it? Jesus. Because that's the purpose that he came, to save and deliver. But watch what he said now. So I ain't come to judge people. The word that I spoke, they shall judge. And I only speak the things that the Father told me to speak. And you need to know this, that his commandments are life everlasting. So God sent this word into the world and Jesus declared the word of God. And those words are life everlasting. And if I reject those words, I reject him. But if I receive those words, what happened? I received him. And if I receive him, I receive the one that sent him, which is the father. But receiving God and receiving him is the same thing as what? Accepting his word. So now let, 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 let's pull this picture all the way back around together. Because we open up with the fact that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And we showed that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. So the way that we get to the place where all we receive and see all the promises of God is we got to get in him. And in being in him, that causes a separation and a distinction in this world because Jesus came to make that known and to make that happen. But us being that separation and that distinction don't mean we hate people and we judge people, we mistreat people, but it means that we serve people. But how can we who are evil serve people? How can we who are evil fulfill the commands of God? How can we who are evil having his jacked up mind change and transform our mind? He gave us the remedy. He gave us the hope, and that is we receive his word. So I allow God's word to speak life and speak reality to me, and I am judged by that word. I am condemned by that word. I am uplifted by that word. I am exalted by that word, and that word, those laws, those commandments is life everlasting. So the way God fulfills me, calling me to repentance is through his word. And if I accept that word, that is life everlasting. So I receive the life of God. I receive Christ. I receive the Father. But just by accepting and saying that what he said is true. So let's begin at the very, very lowly level. When I see myself messed up, when I see myself not lining up with this word, what do I say? What do I do? I said, let God be true and every man alive, which means I'm wrong. God, I'm wrong. This ain't right. But you said you can change me because you said you came in the world to save, to deliver, to set free. So set me free. Are you with me? So if God put me in a position where I see myself bagging down and I'm cowering, I don't want to quite stand up the way I'm supposed to be standing up. But I know Jesus said that if I don't stand up for Jesus, that he ain't going to stand up for me. But I ain't got the strength to stand up because I'm scared, I'm weak, I'm timid, I'm shy by nature and all that other type of stuff. What do I do? I allow God's word to convict me, to judge me, to damn me, to say that, hey, man, you ain't willing to stand up. What mean you, Jesus ain't going to stand up for you. And I say, God, I ain't willing to stand up. I'm scared. I'm afraid. But what is true? He came to save me. He came to deliver me. So deliver me from this fear. Deliver me from this timidity. Deliver me from being shy. Deliver me from cowering to people. Deliver me from whatever it is I need to be delivered in. Are you with me? In the word of God, the promise of God is that he sent his word and it's not going to return unto him void, but it's going to accomplish the very thing he sent it forth to do. 
So if Jesus sent this word to heal, he go, I'm going to be healed. If he sent this word to save, I'm going to be saved. If he sent this word to change me, I'm going to be changed. And it's all by the very power in the word of God because his commandments are life everlasting. So every reality, everything that we have that we need is right here. He has given us all things that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, we have access to it. So if I want to be great, he can show me how to be great. If I want to succeed and if I want to prosper in earth, he can show me how to succeed and how to prosper in earth. Everything I need, he got it. But we have to come to the point where we accept Jesus as who he said he is. The one that came to fulfill. The one that came to bring distinction. The one that came to serve. The one that called us and the one that's here with us to save us. That's the God that we serve. And that's the master that we call on. And that when I say I believe in Jesus, all that stuff is what I believe. Are you with me? And please don't let nobody rob you of your reward by pursuing something other than him. Don't let anybody steal from you the great thing that Jesus died to give to you. All the life, the abundance, the blessing, the power, the authority, all of that stuff is ours. Because we're in him and all the promises of God are yes and amen. But the tendency and the trend in our church nowadays is not be satisfied with Jesus. We need a little more. We need more experiences. We need, you know what I'm saying, more lights, more cameras, more action, all this other stuff. We, want, we need to see angels, visitations. We need to be feel shaking and all that stuff. No, Jesus is enough. And if you got Jesus, you got everything you need. And do not allow the enemy to rob you of the abundance of life that you have in Jesus. How are he going to rob you? Because he's going to lie to you. And he's going to put thoughts in your mind, feelings in your heart, and they're going to reach you to a conclusion. But it don't matter. So when he tells you, you are no good, you can say with all boldness, you're right, I am no good, but God is good in me. When he tell you life is crazy, and you just got too much on your plate right now, you know uh-uh. And you say, yes, that is true. I cannot bear the things that he got for me, but he will not give me more than I can bear. And with every temptation and every pressure and every trial hard and hardship, he is with me and will give me a way of escape. So when life gets too much, I can escape into Jesus. Are you with me? When he tell you, did you feel bad today? Why I feel bad? I don't know. I just feel bad. And you can say in reality, I do feel bad. But God's joy is ever present with me. And if I can just lift up my voice and sing a song, the very presence of God will flood my life and flood this room because he had gave me a song of gladness for the spirit of heaviness. Are you with me? So we don't fight with the devil, but we don't accept what he say. And by accepting, we take it all to Jesus because those are the weapons of our warfare. Are you with me? The weapons of our warfare are not corner, but mighty through God through the pulling down a stronghold. What do we do? We take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of Christ. So that means every time the enemy gives a thought in my mind, every time he put a feeling in my soul, every time I'm in a situation where I begin to think of it, I don't, it don't matter where it comes from. It don't matter. It does not matter. I'm going to take it. I'm going to bring it to Jesus. That's it. I ain't trying to fight it and cast it. I ain't got to do all that. I can take it and I can bring it to Jesus. You sorry. Yes, I am sorry. So God, I'm too sorry. I need your help, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Could, could, could you make me a victor in you? Because I'm sorry right now. 
It don't matter. You need to die. Jesus, I do need to die. But uh, don't let me take my life. Jesus, you take my life and let me find life in you. It, it, it don't see all of it. It all works. No matter what lie he tells you, it ain't number few for you to run to Jesus. Because Jesus came to save you. So if he's telling you something that's wrong with you, that means you need to be saved. And you take it and you take it to Jesus. Now Jesus came to save. So no matter what he tell you, are you with me? You take it and you take it to Jesus. Let him deal with it. Because Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to fulfill for you. Jesus came to call you. So Jesus is all that you need. So we don't sit here and wrestle and accept foolishness on our own and think that that's just the way it got to be. And I don't know why I'm so down. I don't know why I'm so heavy. And I'm going to turn on my phone today. And I'm just going to cry. Cry. But what David tell him? What, what did he tell him? Cry out to the Lord. Don't just be crying. Just be crying. Let them tears flow. But let them flow to Jesus. Be truthful with yourself. We have our loins girded about with the belt of truth. And that ain't talking about the Bible. That's talking about honesty. Be open. Be open to God and let God be God in your life because you can't do it. And everything that God has promised you, you can't receive it. You don't qualify. We want to be in the presence of God. But who can ascend into the mountain of God? Him that has pure hands and a clean heart. Which one of us got that? We all disqualified. But Jesus got it. And he said he can give me some. So if I get up in him, my hands clean and my heart pure because he said he's going to purify me. He said he's going to cleanse me. He said those that are only in him don't need nothing but their feet to be wise. So Jesus, wash my feet and take me to the king. Are you with me? And that's where we stay. We stay with Jesus. We pursue Jesus and we're willing to stand up and don't compromise our faith in him for anything or anybody. Including ourselves. Do we got any questions?